how you view yourself in life. If you had to scan your life, the history of your life, give me three moments that you think had such impact on how you view yourself that it shaped something in you that now you carry with you. Would that be a tough one for you to find? If you were to look back and say, yeah, there, I don't know about the other two, but I do know this one. This one made a mark on me. This moment when this happened, this really made a mark in my heart, in my soul, on how I view myself and how I view the world, how I view people, how I view God. This moment had an impact. Could you find them? What if I gave you a week to think about it? Would you be able to put a finger and say, yeah, now that I think about it, it's very clear that this was a signature moment that really shaped something in me. Whether it broke something or built something, it had such an impact that you carry it with you to this very day. When we look at Exodus chapter 12, you are looking at a moment in the life of the nation of Israel that would shape them from that time forward. You are looking at something that is so profound and so deep, so impactful, that that story would be played out over and over and over again, year after year, generation after generation. Such a powerful moment happens in Exodus chapter 12. I want you to know that this Exodus chapter 12, this Passover story is Israel's salvation moment. They will look back, the kings and the prophets will point back and say, remember what God did for us when we were slaves, when we were overwhelmed, when we were outmatched, when we could not save ourselves. Remember what he did that night. Everything changed that night. It is for them that big of a moment. And it is something they would rehearse year after year throughout time. Friends, I want you to remember Jesus Christ. I want his death, burial, and resurrection to be such an important thing in your life, such an important remembrance in your life, that no matter what comes your way, whether it be a victory at work, whether it be a defeat relationally, or a defeat monetarily, or something else, that you would say, that is good or that is bad, but I've got to measure everything next to my Savior, next to His death, next to His burial, next to His resurrection, where He trampled death to death. If we forget that, we lose our way. We lose our bearings. We start to misunderstand what is truly important, what is truly good, what is truly broken, what is truly going to be rebuilt and is being rebuilt. And so this morning I invite you to just speak to God as a friend. After all, that's what Jesus called us. He called us friend. What a, what a gift. He likes you, that he not only loves you and, and saves you, but he likes you. Well, if he likes you, would you ask him, help me to hear your voice today. I need to hear your voice today. I don't want to come and go out of a service like this and just mark it as another thing that I did this week. I want you to encounter the living God who loves you who gave his son for you that you might be saved. And then he 
includes himself in every moment of life as your friend, as your Savior, as your God, as your comforter. Pray with me. Our Father and our God, we bow in front of you. It's so good to sing with the church this morning. To sing about the victory of Christ. A victory that is mine because he's given it to me. It's a victory that he shares with me. Though I have no right to it. Not by my merits. Yet you have saved me anyways. You've loved me and known me and saved me. And I thank you for that. And I, I pray, God, so how many times did we hear Jesus say, Let him who has ears hear. God, give us ears that can hear this morning. You know our story better than we do. You know who we are as individuals sitting in these chairs. You know what gives us anxiety. You know what gives us encouragement. You know what must be broken in our lives, what must die in our lives, and you know what must live. And so I pray, would you give us ears to hear the voice of your spirit through the word of God? Help us, Lord. We're but dust. We get distracted. Things that shine attract our attention. And so we, we get distracted and we start to love things instead of you. We start to love the gift rather than the giver. Help us, Father. Help me to preach what is true. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to give you a roadmap of where we're going. Because we've been looking at, starting last week and heading into this week, we've been looking at the book of Exodus, which is the national rescue plan of God for the nation of Israel. It's a rescue story. It's definitely not a book that stands alone. It is part two of Genesis. So we're kind of looking at origins here, the origin story, right? This roadmap of where we're going, we're going to look at the final plague. There has been nine others, and now we see the plague of all plagues. We're going to unpeel that a little bit. Then we're going to look at the specific instruction because it's very unique, very specific. No other plague had this kind of instruction to go with it. This final plague has got very specific instruction that matters for us today. And then we are going to behold our Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. And so what I want to do is I want to just back up for a moment and tell you why Exodus matters, especially when we look at these first 11 chapters. See, it's been 430 years since they arrived in Egypt under Joseph. And they were there and they were favored in the land of Goshen. They were given life. They started to flourish. Seventy people became a massive nation, but then they were oppressed by the Egyptian people. And the Egyptians were polytheists, many gods. Pharaoh was seen as a god. The Nile River was seen as a god. And so if you had lived there with your family for all that amount of time, it's very likely that if God was going to deliver you, he was not going to have to get Israel out of Egypt. He was also going to have to get Egypt out of Israel. You know what I mean by that, right? I mean, they could have just woken up one morning and there's millions of dead Egyptians. So, hey, man. They had a rough night. Let's go. Let's, I mean, just let's go. Why not God just deliver them? Do it that way. Why has he got to do these plagues the way he's done it? 
The previous nine plagues are really three sets of three. If you study the plagues, you'll see something that God is intentionally doing there to demonstrate sovereign power over the little g gods of Egypt. He is, in all three sets of three, he is attacking the worldview and the structure of every polytheist in Egypt. And some of them were Egyptian and some of them were Israelites. And he is demonstrating he alone is God. Now, I like to believe that if I were there and I had the promises that my parents had taught me about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that no matter what would come my way, I'd never give up my, my faith in him. But let's be honest. If you'd lived there as an exile, under oppression, hearing about the God who loves you, the God who sees you, and you were being driven by a taskmaster who seemed to be in absolute control, you might every now and then quietly have this thought, is our God really Almighty God? If He is, does He care about me? Does He care about my little one? Does he have the power to overcome Ra, the sun god? Does he have that kind of power, or is he limited in power? You know what was happening? The Israelites were becoming polytheists. They started to believe in the theology of Egypt, of the polytheism of Egypt. They started to believe that. And so in these plagues, God is demonstrating, I alone am God. I alone am God. And so as much as I want to believe that I would hold that banner, that I would not deny that, <laughs> friends, you need to hear this. We too would have been tempted to doubt the promises of God. We too would have gotten superstitious. How do we know that? Because some of us are superstitious now. We believe that if we went to Haiti and there was some voodoo priestess over here or priest, that we'd better be careful they don't put some kind of curse on us. Or maybe we're going to read our fortune in the, you know, you get your Panda Express and you're like, man, I kind of want to read this little thing in this cookie. I mean, who knows? You know, you step on a crack and break your mother's back. You don't want to break a mirror. You don't want to walk under a ladder or something. Whatever it is, there's some part of us that gets woo-woo, right? We start thinking that maybe, just maybe, but you need to hear this. There is one God. One God. There's no Allah. There's no Hindu gods. This is all mythology. They don't exist. They are demonic forces disguised in world religions. That's it. There's one God. And if you go to Israel with me, June, mark this, June the 1st through the 9th, we're going about five grand, but it's worth it, and it'll change the way you read the Bible forever. Officially, if you go with me, you know what you're going to find when you go into the every single house, every single dwelling? You're going to find what looks like a little tiny lock in a brass chamber that's on the door. And you know what's inside that? The word from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. It's called the Shema, and I think I have that for you. I want you to hear this. This is what God said to the exiles who'd come into the promised land. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
And I want you to remember that. I want you to keep that in front of you because you might be tempted to believe that there's many gods and that I can portion out my love to this God and I can portion out a little of this and I can even include the God of Israel too. I can just put him in a big old mix. And that's what's going on as God is defeating through the plagues the world structure, the world idea, the worldview of Egypt has to be taken out of Israel, not just Israel, out of Egypt. That's what's happening in the first chapters uh, 1 through 11 of Exodus. And when we come to chapter 12, we see the plague of all plagues. This is the granddaddy plague. This is the big one. And God essentially says, by the end of tonight, you will know that I alone am God. And there's no one who can stop my hand from moving. Not Pharaoh on his throne, not the poorest amongst, not even the cattle and livestock can stop my hand from moving. Now I'm going to read this passage of scripture. I want you to bear with me. It's a little bit longer, but I just want you to engage your inner animator as I read these words. Chapter 12 Verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month uh, of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he, sh- then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each one can eat. You shall make uh, your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, one year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it into the two, uh, put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they shall eat it. And they shall eat its flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened, unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted with its head and its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. Verse 11, in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all Uh, The gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout all generations As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. In seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall remove the leaven out of your houses. If anyone eats leaven from the first day until the uh, seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day the holy assembly, uh, 
and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you, and you shall observe this feast of unleavened bread. Jump down to verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to the clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin. Touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through, the, pass through and strike the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter the house to strike you. And you shall observe this statute, you and your sons forever. And when you come into that land, the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall, see, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what does it mean, this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over our houses, uh, the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. This is a picturesque scene, is it not? There's very specific instruction, and I want to encourage you to try to leave this room with you and your loved ones and imagine had you been there that night. There's this instruction that is given to you and your family. There's four things that you need to know. First, you've got to select the perfect lamb. Go out and select the perfect lamb. Kill that lamb after it's lived with you now in your house for four days, five days. Take the blood and apply it publicly. We're not going to be secretive about this. And you need to stay inside. Let's take each one of those for just a second. This is how you're going to survive this night. You get out there and you find the best. It's got to be a one-year-old male without blemish, goat or lamb. Really, it's take the blue chip lamb that you have, the one-year-old, the best of your stock. Take that one, and you know who it is because you have plans for this one. This one, because he's so flawless and perfect, could be a great replica builder. We want to build our whole flock based on his genetics, and so we got to keep this one. No, no, no. God says you go and get that one. Select the perfect one. If you've got one that is sick or weak, blind or whatever it is, that one's not acceptable to me. I want you to bring the very blue chip best one you've got. And I want that land to live in your house. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. That means with your kids feeding it, giving it water, taking care of it, right? Attaching to it, if you will. I want you to take that one. And I want you to kill it. I want you to take the one that you see as your blue chip, your best, and I want you to take it in that twilight of that evening. I want you to plunge a knife into its jugular, and I want you to catch all of that blood in a bowl. I don't know about you, but I think that part might be kind of hard to do. I've got a covenant at my house, and I hope you won't hate me for this. But if you are in my backyard, and you're not one of my kids, and you're a skunk, or an armadillo, or certainly a snake, I've attacked four of them, and I've killed, or I've attacked five of them, I've killed four. One got away. 
But, but you come into my yard, and, and, and it's game on. It's not personal. We just have to do this. And that, this doggone little skunk got in my yard, and, and Luke and I attacked it. Let's just say that. And, and it tried to get away. It tried to get away, and it half got away. It, it got through the fence almost. So its business end was pointed back at us, and its head was through the other side. And I, and I went around to my neighbor's house. I called him and said, hey, we got a problem got a skunk half in yard half in your yard half in mine and and i need to take care of it and they're like do what you need to do <laughs> and i figured the business end was pointing back that way so i, I was just well let's just say i was going to take care of it brooke and mckenzie aren't hating me right now because i think they understand how this kind of has to go but when i saw that little little guy's little face he had like a little kitten face and he was trying, <laughs> trying to survive and i found it very hard to finish the job, the coup de grace. But I'm telling you something. If you had a lamb that lived in your house with you, and this was the blue chip, and you were told by God, look, you got to take this blue chip lamb, and you're going to take and plunge a knife into its jugular, and you're going to catch that blood. You know what your kids are saying to you in that moment? Daddy, stop. What are you doing? Don't do it. And there's some part of me that might struggle to do it, but here's what will push me over the edge. If I don't shed its blood, we don't survive the night. So I've got to do this. I'm going to take the life of this lamb so that I and my family are safe. Because the destroyer is coming, and if his blood isn't shed, we don't make it through the night whole. And so that's why this has to happen. The blood of that lamb has to be shed for us to be safe. Are you tracking with this? It's going to start sounding very familiar. And then you've got to take that blood that you have caught in that basin, and you've got to take a hyssop branch. And you're going to dip that hyssop branch in that blood, and you are very publicly going to display that you trust in the Word of God. The promise of God means something to you. And so, so I want you to think about this. Are you going to dab just a tiny little bit and barely touch the door and the top? Or are you going to paint that sucker good? Are you going to get in there and really make sure that what you have done is you have fully and completely complied with the instruction given to you from Moses. I don't know if you guys know this. The name of this church three years ago was the Painted Door. Now, some of you are like, oh, I do know that. I, I had a friend in, in Chicago that that was the name of his church, and it closed down. It didn't make it. And uh, I said, hey, Mark, do you care if we take that name and revive it in Georgetown, Texas? And he said, man, I would be honored to see that. Because it, here's what I wanted. I wanted something that pointed back to our Savior over and over again. I got down here in Georgetown and figured out everybody thinks we're a paint-a-pot. They think we're a coffee shop. The painted door? That's a church? Okay, what? No, it was a picture of the blood of that lamb on the outside of the door frames and the lintel. Now, you can start to see a cross, can you not? Blood here, blood here, blood here. And it was public. So imagine this. We're living in Goshen in Egypt, and the instruction has been given to 
you're going to have to take this blood and you're going to have to paint the door with it. You're going to have to get the door frames in the top. If you walked around the land of Goshen that night, what do you think you'd see? You'd find out for sure who actually believed this stuff. Because you'd see house after house marked by the blood of a lamb who didn't deserve to die. That lamb was innocent. All the kids reminded their dad, he's done nothing wrong. Why should you do this to him? He is a great lamb. He's good. Why should he have to die? Well, he has to. Otherwise, we're not saved. And then we're going to not be bashful about saying that if this is the instruction, make it big. Don't go halfway with this. Paint it well. Don't be ashamed that you believe that the blood of this lamb is your only hope. Be bold. Be public. Number four, go inside the door, shut it, and don't come out. Don't come out. Get this. Death is coming. You're going to be scared. But I want you to, instead of running away, instead of trying to do something on your own, trying to find a safe cave somewhere, trying to find within your own ability uh, some way to protect yourself, you give up all of that. You go inside the house and you hide yourself behind the blood of that lamb. And that's your only hope. Don't leave. Don't try something else. When it gets really scary and you know that that this is the time that it's about to happen, don't open the door Stay locked inside. Hide yourself there no matter what comes your way. This is the instruction. And on this night of judgment, you might be tempted to rehearse. Did I? Did I really get the right lamb? Okay. Yeah, that was our best. That was our best. You know, some of you as couples, you got one that's kind of the fly by night one that's really the detail person you guys know what i'm talking about every now and you get two like me that are like man i think we got it you know we pretty well nailed it i'm pretty sure you got someone over here that's all detail hey you did take the best one right you didn't cheap out on me because you were afraid that maybe you need that one no no babe i got the best one okay right and 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 it was a one-year-old, right? It was without blemish. Yeah, we, we got the right one. Okay. And I saw you kill it. I got that. How much blood did you put on the door? Let's, let's just make sure you got it right. Like you did get it really fixed, right? Oh, yeah, I got it really fixed. Okay. Well, let's go inside. And let's just leave it up to God from here. D.A. Carson tells the story of two Jews. D.A. Carson's a brilliant theologian. He said, can you imagine two, two Jews talking on the first night, the first Passover, Smith and Brown? Good Jewish names, right? Smith says to Brown, man, I, I, I'm a little nervous about tonight. How about you? Brown says, nervous? Why? I don't know. It's pretty scary around here lately. I mean, all this plagues and Nile turns to blood and hailstones and all that. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a little nervous. Aren't you? No. Why would I? I mean, you, you killed the Passover lamb, right? No, of course I did. I'm not stupid. You took the blood and you put it on the door, right? 
yeah, yeah, I did all that. I just, I'm ready for this night to be over. I'm kind of freaked out. This is scary stuff. He answers back and says, not me. Bring on the plague. I have done what God has said, and I'm confident. And Smith goes, well, that's easy for you to say. You've got three sons. I've got one. And honestly, I, I just want this night to be over. And so they both leave that conversation. They go to their house. They shut the door. One in full confidence that no matter what, he's safe. Another one full of dread and fear, terrified. And I want to ask the question, which man lost their son that night? Neither. Neither man. It's not the intensity of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. And this silences the voice of an accuser in your life that says, you didn't do enough, you weren't good enough. Okay, that may be true, but I have hidden myself in the unblemished blood of that lamb. I may not be all that I'd like to be. I may not have done as well as I could, but this thing is true. I did take shelter in the blood of the lamb. That's it. Friends, they had no idea that night in Egypt, in Goshen. They had no idea what the fullness of what they were doing was going to play out someday on a cross in, outside Jerusalem. Because year after year, lambs would be slaughtered. The blood would be put on the door generation after generation until April the 2nd, 33 A.D., Jesus met with his disciples and he sat down and said, I am the Lamb of God. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. It was this bitter, unleavened bread that he took and he broke. And he said, this is me, this is my body broken for you. So this would have been a weird Passover all these Passovers before, you could look and say, okay, I see the wine. There was four cups of wine in a Passover. I see the wine. It's here. I see the, the bread. It's here. But where's the lamb? The lamb's supposed to be here on the table. Jesus said the lamb is not on the table because the lamb is at the table. I am your Passover lamb. What did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus coming in John chapter 1, verse 29? He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is our Passover Lamb. You need to go back and realize those four steps about select the perfect Lamb, the Father did. He was unblemished. He was in the, the height of his strength as a man at 33 years old. He was unblemished. He was the perfect lamb. And his father brought him forth as a Passover lamb. His blood was displayed publicly. He went to that cross naked. In front of the, path, the, the crossroads where people would be coming in and out of Jerusalem, they would see our crucified Savior publicly up there. He was not ashamed to die for us publicly. His blood was displayed for us. And here it is. Because He died, because He faced isolation, because He 
face the wrath of God. We don't have to. It was him or us, and he took our place. Stay locked inside that. That promise. When things get scary and when things get crazy and when you feel like you're out of control and you want to go provide for yourself, cover yourself, hide yourself, stay inside the lamb. Go inside, lock the door, and stay put. I'm not going to look for someone else to save me. It's you and you alone. I'm not going to look for something that I think feels safer to me. I'm going to hide myself in you all the way up to the day when I face death itself and I can say that as the destroyer comes and it comes for everyone and it doesn't matter if you're the richest like Pharaoh or the poorest, you will face death. Will you face it hidden inside the unblemished blood of Jesus Christ? Or will you face it trying to cover yourself? Will you run for some other safety? Jesus is our Passover lamb. He took our place. And this, when you start to feel like you're not enough, when you start to feel like, after all these years, shouldn't I know better than to go back to that, that sin, that way of thinking, that way of acting? Go back to the blood of that lamb. He's flawless. We're not. He still covers you. And you don't have to be ashamed to put the blood of Christ publicly on your life as the reason why you're okay with God. You're not who you hoped you'd be. Neither am I. Let's hide together in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's say that that's what covers me. And I don't need anything else. I have no other argument. I have no other plea except that Jesus died and that he died for me. And for you. Do you know what we're doing every week? We're rehearsing Passover. (laughs) I will drink the blood. I will eat the body. I will have the juice. I will have the bread. And I'll be reminded that he's more than a match for me. For my sin. And he can cover me. He's more than a match.